How does Bummer say it? Welcome, mountain bikers. This is Vital Entity product editor Brandon Terman, and in today's tech talk, we're going to cover a hot topic in the mountain bike world right now, and that's air shocks versus coil shocks. If you follow racing at all, you've likely seen a big push within the Enduro World Series, with many top pros making the switch to a coil, and it's even beginning to trickle down into bike specs here and there. So, which one is better? What type of rider is each best for? Is it worth making the switch? Today we're going to chat with RockShock's rear shock product manager, Chris Mandel, and Duncan Riffle, a former World Cup racer turned SRAM PR coordinator, about their thoughts and experiences with coil and air. We're going to dive deep today in the tech talk, covering everything from what type of bikes work best with a coil to the pros and cons of each, and even touch on some very interesting details about how something called the adiabatic effect impacts air shocks. Bike nerds rejoice! So Chris... You're pretty educated on this topic. I imagine you've done a bunch of experimenting yourself. What type of bikes have you found work well with a coil? Yeah, good question. So there's there's definitely, you know, there's a component of the bike and then there's a component of the, the individual rider style that works into there. Generally, one of the things we, we definitely see that lends itself towards uh, a bike that's going to work better with a coil is one that has a higher rising rate. And that's just a way of describing how progressive the bike is. And so based on the way that we calculate it, we kind of like to see bikes that have, you know, 10 to 12% rise on a trail bike are going to give you the kind of support that you need and bottom out control that you need. That being said, there's other bikes out on the market that have a little bit lower than that that still ride really well with coil just because of, other aspects of their kinematics. And then when it comes to the downhill bike side of things, kind of 18% and higher. Sometimes, you know, for World Cup athletes, they're looking to get above 30% rise when it comes to when a coil starts really working well for them. So when you're under those numbers, what type of things happen? You tend to get bottom out a little bit quicker, or you tend to crush bottom out. It's the nature of the of the spring. So an air spring is going to have a curve that ramps up depending on how it's set up. When you take all the tokens out of our current air spring system, we have a pretty flat, pretty linear curve. So you can get fairly close to how a coil spring is going to behave. And it's when you start adding those tokens into the system that you start changing the angle of that curve. It starts changing at sag but the changes at sag are pretty imperceptible it really kicks in at about 50 percent of stroke is where when a rider can really start telling the difference with the addition of a token and then towards bottom out you're, you're getting a pretty massive change in terms of the air pressure at bottom out so with more tokens you'll have higher air pressure at bottom out with less tokens you'll have lower air pressure at bottom out so less bottom out resistance at that point and a coil spring is going to be perfectly linear, so you're going to move straight across that curve. And so if you have a bike that's relatively linear with that coil spring that's relatively linear, it's going to be really easy for you to get to the bottom-out bumper on the coil spring shock. But if your bike is relatively progressive, your bike kinematics are going to resist the linear nature of the coil spring and make it a little bit harder for you to, to get the bottom out. Okay, so assuming you have a bike that is progressive enough, 
what are some of the benefits that you guys are seeing from making the switch to a coil? So I would say, and this is kind of where, you know, rider preference comes into that. You're going to get a lot of like really smooth, consistent feel from the coil spring side of things where really it's going to be the spring is always going to behave in the exact same manner, no matter how, at what shaft speed you hit. So one thing that happens with air springs is, is they have what's called the adiabatic process, which is super complicated. I can't explain the math on it, but it has to do with air spring systems. And when you pressurize air, there's a temperature change that accompanies the change in making the volume smaller. However, if you do a shaft speed change that's super fast, like say 100 inches per second, there's no time for that energy to change into a temperature change. And so it results in an increase in air pressure. And what we believe is that one of the reasons why air springs tend to have a poppier, more playful feel is that adiabatic process aiding the air spring to give a little bit more support when you have faster shaft speeds and behaving a little bit more like a coil spring at slower shaft speeds. Huh, that's very interesting. Some of the benefits might include just kind of a more consistent feel. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, and I don't mean consistent in that in that the air spring is changing in some kind of a negative way. I mean that if you hit a coil spring at 100 inches per second, it's going to behave the same way as if you hit it at 20 inches per second. Whereas the air spring is going to respond differently to that 20 inch per second than it does to the 100 inch per second. So for some riders, they prefer to have that consistency in their the way the spring is responding to their inputs. And other riders prefer to use that air spring to jump off of things, get further down the trail, you know, leverage the fact that the air spring is changing based on their inputs to it. So as suspension designers, are you guys working to, to change that adiabatic effect or is it something that you guys feel is beneficial? Well, first of all, we definitely feel it's beneficial. We feel that's one of the differences between air springs and coil springs. And it's okay that there's differences between the two of them. They're, you know, they're two different ways of solving the same problem. And if we could change that adiabatic process, we would probably switch industries and go swimming in Olympic-sized pools of money. <laughs> <laughs> all right, something to shoot for. Okay, so as you're riding down the trail with a coil shock or an air shock, is there a difference in where you ride in the travel? And it's likely dependent on the bike. Yeah, so that's going to be dependent on the bike. It's going to be dependent on, it'll be a little bit on the rider to make sure that they set the bike up with equal amounts of sag between the two shocks. You know, and that's obviously like a, something we place a lot of emphasis on with our coil shocks. That's why we have sag gradients on the shaft to make it a lot easier to set the sag. But again, you know, that's that's really going to be dependent upon the rider setting those two shocks up really similar. One nice thing for us is that with the Super Deluxe RCT Reservoir, which is a two-position 
reservoir with a low-speed compression adjust. And the nice thing about that reservoir is air to coil, it's going to provide you with the same damping characteristics. It's just the spring that's changed in that situation. So what are some of the downsides of making the switch to coil? If you're a rider who likes to smash into things super hard and you're on a bike that's relatively linear, you're probably going to end up having to run such a stiff spring to avoid bottom out that you'll be losing some of that off-the-top performance that people like so much in coil. Okay, and does, does weight or heat come into play at all? You know, weight is is always a discussion. You've picked up my bikes before, so it's definitely not, you know, it's not on the top of, of the list that I have. <laughs> but weight is definitely something that goes into that. We see a lot of people who are super weight conscious, but we also see a lot of people who are, they want to save weight in critical places like wheels and tires and saddles and handlebars. And then when it comes to their suspension, they want to focus on the performance that they want to have on the bike, which is why they're willing to do something like put a coil shock on their bike because they prefer the way the coils ride. And I mean, just putting a piggyback shock on your bike is heavier than the option of putting an inline shock on your bike. Right. So a modern mountain bike air shock, like the Super Deluxe, does that suffer from fade over time versus a coil shock? So it's a little bit of a hard one to kind of really get into because the there's kind of a lot going on there. In terms of damping, the air shock and the coil shock are going to be consistent along the same lines. We do a lot of heat testing. In fact, we were actually out with Sam Hill and Dave Camp, who works on the rear shock team and is pretty quick in his own right, doing heat testing a couple of weeks ago. And what we see from those guys who are pretty fast and pretty hard on their shocks and bikes in general, we don't see them getting the shocks up to temperatures that significantly impact the damping performance of coil or air shocks. Okay, there you have it. Got to ride harder than Sam Hill or Dave Camp. <laughs> yeah, both really hard things to do. And I definitely noticed that Dave Camp riding with Sam Hill is faster than Dave Camp normally. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Okay, so gents, both of you, I'm curious, are you a coil guy or an air guy? I'll go first. I actually go both ways. It's interesting. My preference is to ride air, but and I couldn't do this this year, but at the Andes Pacifico, which is a blind race in South America, I really wanted to ride a coil because I found... With blind racing, there's something about the way the coil works and the fact that you're kind of riding like super ginger there. I want to ride a coil when I'm riding blind, but then when I'm riding my home trails or smashing laps in Whistler, my preference is to ride in there. Okay. And Duncan, coming from that World Cup background, what's your preference? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, like you said, I've, with my background in downhill racing, it was always a coil, and we never we never actually had that option for air. You know, on a long travel bike, downhill air shocks were just really not a thing, and if they were a thing, they wouldn't last. It's kind of like a pipe dream. You know, we, we would run it for certain courses that uh, we would try and get the weight down. At that point, we were nowhere near the technology and advancements that we have and are capable of of doing and achieving in our long travel air shocks now that we were then. So 
you know, that being said, I, I was, I'll be right there with Chris and said, I always preferred an air, just the feeling and the liveliness of it. I think that's just more my style of riding and having long travel coil shocks was obviously just a, a smash device really. And was a lot more capable. So I think I, I definitely am going to kind of echo Chris's sentiment there and, and say that I'd like to ride both. And uh, I think the reason that we're actually here all talking at this point is for what I'm about to say. And, and that's the sense of each bike is different. And that's what we really want to uh, convey is that not every bike or every situation is going to be ideal for a coil or ideal for just an air. And that, you know, having that option nowadays is what we we really are striving to do is, is kind of bring the two closer together, right? So coils lived on one end of the spectrum and air is lived on another entirely different end of the spectrum. And what we're doing is bringing those a lot closer so that you can really achieve the, the best ride for your terrain or you as a, you know, your style of riding. Right. It was fun to do some back-to-back testing. A lot of my personal findings echoed what you guys are saying. It was very interesting to put the coil on and then go back to an air shock after several runs and feel out some of the differences. So honestly, I hadn't even, uh, hadn't even heard of the whole adiabatic thing, which was very interesting. It's definitely something that we're like super aware of. That's like the best explanation for why we feel like air shocks have that poppier, livelier feel than, than a coil shock is going to have. Is some of that also due to just the fact that they're inherently progressive in their design versus the coil, which is linear? If we take the volume spacers out of one of our air shocks, we're getting pretty close to a linear system. We're close enough that we don't actually think a rider could properly tell the difference. There's differences on the dyno, but we don't think that they're so far apart that a rider could tell. But when a rider rides the two, they can parse out which one's which. And we... I can't go too deep into it, but we've done some things and built some shocks that isolate the springs. So we've had the opportunities to basically trick the human rider in ways that he wouldn't normally be able to with the current shocks that are available on the market. Huh, interesting. All right, there you guys go. That's air versus coil with rock shocks. We covered some pretty heady details with Chris and Duncan, and I hope that the takeaway is that it's really a matter of preference. Not only is it highly dependent on the kinematics of your bike and whether it's progressive or not, but how that plays in your riding preferences and style may vary from person to person. What's the bottom line? It's best to go do some back-to-back testing your own and experiment if you can. Cheers all, keep the rubber side down, and thanks for listening in.